Blog Talk Radio. monthly solutions-oriented talk radio show. Uh, Each month, we dedicate about 30 minutes to explore contemporary issues and solutions in education leadership, and this is your host, Brian Perkins. Uh, This month, our guest is Dr. David Ramey from uh, Penn State. He's an assistant professor of sociology and criminology at Penn State. Uh, Welcome, David. Uh, Thank you for having me. Uh, to our faithful listeners, welcome back, and thank you for being a part of our family. Uh, we have over 5,000 listeners every month, and to our new listeners, glad you joined us. Um, and so today, we're going to talk a little bit about um, an article um, and some work that uh, David and his research team have been uh, working on, um, uh, but specifically an article that was uh, published in a journal of sociology of education by the American Sociological Society or Sociological Association, and uh, it's really fascinating. And so, I'm, I'm David. I know you've done a lot of work in different areas in sociology, uh, but your this particular article falls right on the heel of um, one of the really more um, poignant, if I may say, um, um, shows that we did last about two weeks ago. We had uh, two gentlemen on that were talking about uh, what we might learn from the South Carolina incident and the the school discipline policies, both from a training perspective, how school resource officers are trained, and also just policies. And and your research actually gets right to the heart of uh, some of the questions, both from a practice point of view about how school discipline is addressed, uh, but also policies that might um, be put in place to change uh, some very disturbing patterns that I see uh, published here. So. Uh, the title of your article, uh, for those of you who are interested in looking it up, uh, The Social Structure of Criminalized and Medicalized School Discipline. So, David, if you could just give us a, a brief overview of what you were doing in this study and what you sought to, uh, some of the questions you sought to answer. Um, well, again, thank you for having me. The, the study in question is part of a larger research project, part of my dissertation, actually. Um, in which I wanted to get at the at racial and ethnic disparities and socioeconomic disparities and how we socially construct behavior problems. So how we describe those behavior problems and then how we describe them kind of informs how we try to ameliorate them, how do we try to deal with them within, a, in this case, a school setting. Um, and so what I wanted to kind of demonstrate is that, that, that we all, with, within this segre- segregated context, um, you know, what are the are, do the school do the, do the disciplinary policies of the schools themselves and the districts? How do they differ according to who's attending the, the classes? So I was interested in looking at um, school and district racial and socioeconomic composition, 
and its effects on what we call criminalized school discipline, which is things like, um, well, arrests on campus, but also uh, punitive discipline policies like suspension and expulsion, versus um, what sociologists refer to as medicalization of discipline, where um, you treat the behavior problem as if it were a medical problem, and you, mm-hmm. um, you know, you arrange you arrange the kids' work or school day around those discipline problems to kind of uh, ameliorate any disruptions both to that child's education and others through medical mm-hmm. terms instead of just kicking the kid out of school. Sure, sure. And and as I noticed, uh, just in the article, your first hypothesis was that schools with relatively larger black populations would have higher suspension and expulsion rates. What did you find? Was that Was that true? Uh yeah, so I found so I found both at the school and the district level. Um so I was able to kind of, to get at both the independent effects of the of district level racial composition and school level racial composition and both of those are really important in predicting higher um rates of uh students arrest, higher rates of student suspension, higher rates of student expulsion. Mhm. And and so just just simply put that if if I'm at if I'm if I'm a student at a school with um, a high black population, um, the chances are that they're going to have more students being suspended and expelled than if I were at a school with a lower black population. Basically, yes, and this is I think this is sort of the important thing to take away at least from this specific paper um, is that it's. It, it might not necessarily be who you are, but it's it, it's where the school is. If you're in a school with a, a larger, relatively larger black population and you misbehave, and I'm not talking about misbehavior like throwing a desk at a teacher. I'm talking like blurting out to your friend, talking, sassing back to a teacher. Um, sure. If you're – the schools, schools with um, a, a relatively larger black populations are – more likely to respond to those with punishment and less likely to respond to those types of behaviors with medicalization. Yes. And so, th- see, this is fascinating because, as I said, on the hills, and I'm sure you you uh, thought about your study when this, when this hit, um, the video hit the airwaves mm-hmm. about happening in South Carolina, was that, you know, and, and, and this is certainly, we don't have all the facts, but but from what appeared on his face to be a cell phone policy infraction, or even, you know, in some cases people said that it was a, a student who was being defiant and not moving out of their chair, um, regardless of the reasons, but that the, the resource officer was uh, called in, and and so it became a criminal matter. And so even the gentleman that was formerly uh, head of, of resource officers in South Florida, who was on the show two weeks ago, said that that this is something that happens, unfortunately, uh, a lot of the time. So what, what we're saying is that this actually is, is, is what, you, what you would have predicted in, in your study, um, is that, that this, is, this would have been, in terms of the, the criminalization, um, Tell us a little bit more, though, when you talked about the medicalization or the uh, making discipline medicalized, what might have been another approach if we're saying, okay, it's clear about 
criminalizing that they get suspended and expelled, police get involved. What exactly did you mean for in the, in for for understanding uh your 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 contrast in your paper uh medicalization? So medicalization can it can occur in several different ways. And um really what it, it it the most basic thing is it entails on a structural or cultural level that we actually identify so I uh, using ADHD is probably the most common example. Mm-hmm. And we identify we identify that there are ADHD is associated with given behavior problems. Now you can formally medicalize a student is you know if you take he, her him to the doctor get a prescription. Um, but there are ways that schools can medicalize with or without that diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is you know um, it, it, changing lesson plans, um, changing classroom environment. To kind of he to re, that recognizes a child's behavioral issues, <laughs> and so um, thinking about thinking about things like classroom disruption, uh, uh, ignoring uh, things like cell phone policies, and this would be a you know if this is a recurrent problem with the student, you know, what are the underlying? It's sort of looking at what are the underlying causes for misbehavior as opposed to when we talk, think about criminalization, it's sort of deterrence. And the cause from his paper is a bad choice. We just started that bad choice by kicking the kid out. Um, cool. In this case, it's sort of taking a more, at least it, it it should be taking a more holistic approach to that child's education. Sure, sure. And, you know, I, I would love to hear from listeners about uh, this issue. Um, and, and so I'm just going to open the lines of, um, you know, People out there want to call in uh, 657-383-1481 is the number 657-383-1481 one of the things that I think about that I hear and that I've witnessed in in schools and hear professionals talk about from time to time are those kind of underlying cultural themes that go through schools and no one talks about like they they hear it see it uh, that um, but no one collects the data, or I should say no one talks about the data. The data is there, it's collected, uh, but they're not talking about how these uh, differences that exist between groups. Um, and one of the other things that you talked about in your uh, article had to do also with economic levels. And so economic strata being an issue, and we're going to get to that in a moment, but but what I'd like to hear from from our callers and listeners out there um, is is their experiences in schools. Um, you know, what what are you seeing? Is there a conversation that happens around this information, around data that suggests that there are groups that are being punished um, differently than others uh, in an aggregate? Uh, way in terms of district-wide or otherwise, because I think in some cases there haven't been real conversations among educators uh, about what to do about it and that it actually exists. It just kind of it's that you know elephant in the room that no one wants to discuss, but that um, there are these differences in, in punishment and even more severely. Uh, but but. One of the the other hypotheses you had was also about economic differences, and in some some places 
as we know, it's a proxy for race. Um, so um, what, did, what did you find in terms of the economic disadvantage and how uh, that played out in your research? And I think I'm glad that you actually mentioned that people use it as a proxy for race. Because I think it, it's not a proxy for race. A lot of times I think people say when, mm -hmm. when scholars and, and race scholars are trying to point out racial disparities and they're trying to, they'll, they'll say, well, no, that's just a class disparity masked in race. And it mm -hmm. kind of forgets that the, particularly the unique the, the uniqueness of the, the, the black non-black in the United States when it comes to social control. Um, and that's the sort of what I, the reason I wanted to kind of control for, to, to kind of test the independent effects of, of race, of racial, racial and ethnic composition with socioeconomic composition was, and to kind of, to interact the two is to get at that, the intersectionality between race and class. And what I found is that even when you control for, for, for racial composition, um, Schools and districts with more economic disadvantage see the same thing. They're more likely to have, they have higher rates of punishment and arrest and lower rates of, um, of medical, medicalized school discipline. Mm -hmm. um, but even despite those patterns, the, we, the racial effects are still significant and quite sizable. Mm -hmm. so, so by that, tell me a little more about, uh, so how significant is this? You know, so does this mean... Of a, a, a small um, threshold of uh, it's, it is it is correlated, or does this is there is there some predictability in you know these in these results you have? I think the easiest the, the easiest finding to, to, the the best finding I guess the most interesting finding to get at that question is to look at so I did a, an interaction between school level racial composition and district level socioeconomic status so, so basically this was the idea of comparing within the same district schools that vary in their racial composition and again we have a, a large amount of racial and socioeconomic segregation in this country but there are there are you know thinking about um, middle class and upper middle class schools and districts that are more diverse. And what we see is that in the in the really economically disadvantaged districts, the racial composition of the school doesn't matter as much. That they tend to have top down rigid rigid top down disciplinary structures at the district level, but in the more advantaged districts, the racial composition of the school really matters. So so schools that um, sorry, I'm trying to get my notes here, and they just fell off. So schools that, that in within the same district, schools that vary by 15%, 10% in their African-American composition, vary by almost 30% in terms of um, suspension and expulsion rates and almost 10% in terms of, of referral and arrest. So that means wow. that in, in the same economically advantaged district, a middle-class black school will have higher suspension rates than the middle-class white school. And that yeah. gets to the really salient point about, about race. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And so, you know, there are a lot of people who who would say, you know, it's just not about race. Um, what, what is your response to that, though? I mean, you know, with this... With 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 these numbers and and especially your controls uh, that you've been very careful to control in 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 a very um, uh, deliberate way for other variables, um, what do you say to the policymaker that 
would would say, you know, we're not in the business of discriminating against kids, and there's no one plotting against these kids. So what 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 do you say to that? I think, uh, and I think we do a good job. I think, well, no, I'm sorry. By saying good job, I mean that sarcastically. I think we do a job of of trying to erase away um, racial effects as you know socioeconomic effects. And but I think if you read a lot of at least in criminology, a lot of this criminological literature says that you know it's that the the mass incarceration is it has a unique racial aspect to it. And Michelle Alexander goes so far as to call the war on drugs then you know the new Jim Crow. And that this, so when schools are adopting those policies, they're going to see the same sort of features, those same disparities that exist in the adult criminal justice system are going to be replicated. That's what's in 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 the school system. And importantly, work by um, Eduardo Benia Silva and others points out that it's the, the, there's this racism without racists that you can be that that, that structural racism exists despite. It's not that we're just, you know, the teachers aren't discriminating against young black kids. It's that the social structure is mm. is set up so that it, it, it this is the point of the paper is that it's the school system. It doesn't mean it, it, it kind of you know from my findings, the white kid that goes to the predominantly black school still faces those suspension risks. I mean, there might be some differences at that individual level that we can't get at from this paper, but. This is still a. It's you know, this is sort of a, an, an emergent proper property from from racial segregation. Right, but you know, one of the things that came to mind is you talked about that it it is it's, it could be racism without races that we are talking about people, and obviously in the United States, so we've been socialized to think a certain way about. Uh, what should happen in schools, but it, it just strikes me as peculiar that the the numbers are as you have presented them, and that there's not some real uh, other uh, um, issue with either the way teachers are being trained, leaders are being trained, um, you know, I've worked in a number of different, with a number of different districts, and even one, I remember uh, looking at the data, and it, and it was very similar. Um, a superintendent asked me in once uh, to take a look at a middle school, and in this middle school, they couldn't figure out why the test scores were very, very low, and so I asked for data, and I just looked just in a just a comparison way, looked at um, uh, racial test scores, test score data disaggregated uh, by race. I'd looked at suspension rates, expulsions, everything. And in this particular middle school uh, that I I saw where 91% of all suspensions at this middle school, in a middle school where 60% of the population was African-American, but 91% of the suspensions and expulsions were of African Americans. So it was like all of you, you would expect, and I guess what, what if we think about this as a, uh, in epidemiology, we would say, well, we would expect the numbers to be the same as they are in mm-hmm. the population, right? So this is 30% more than they appear in the general population. 
And because we're talking about people, I, I just wonder what it is exactly that's happening in our socialization. Do you have any ideas about is it the way people are socialized generally to think about these issues and, and the students that they're serving, in this case, African-American and Hispanic students, uh, but is it is it not just people in general? Is it the way we're going about training teachers and administrators? Well, I think um, and I think there's some some work ten years ago in the same journal um, by by Doug Downey and and others and 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 I know in another paper from the same project I try to uh, I try to apply what they call what psychologists call attribution theory, which is you know we 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 as as laymen assign attributions to cause causal attributions to behavior. So this is why this is why person X acted out that way. And when we look at child misbehavior and a lot of this is done in the juvenile justice system, but you can think about it also uh, I try to look at it in in terms of in school misbehavior um that we have uh, stereotypes of misbehavior from young African Americans, particularly boys, as there being a a problem with their disposition or a, a cultural problem. And, and and Bruce Western talks about how one of the side effects of mass incarceration and dis, dis, disproportionate numbers of Af- African Americans in the criminal justice system is that prejudice and that association with 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 color and crime in the in society in general, because of media the media coverage and media reports that mm-hmm. when, when a child misbe- when a child misbehaves, all that information is is uh, of that doesn't actually have anything to do with that behavior goes into informing the decisions. Whereas when whites and particularly middle class whites misbehave, they tend to view it as more of the results of um, externalizing factors that can be changed. So, you know, some of the research says, you know, it's a bad a bad time, a, a bad period of home life or mm-hmm. trouble adjusting mm-hmm. to a new school. But one of those reasons is a medical condition. And mm-hmm. because that kid has a medical condition, he's sick and not bad. And you can, uh-huh. we can heal sickness, but we don't, we have this, at least in the United States, we don't have this, notion or spirit of confidence that we can heal badness. This is why we want to lock bad people up and keep bad people away from us. Interesting. Interesting. So we have a caller waiting. Um, uh, Others out there may uh, not have the number. 657-383-1481. 657-383-1481. If you're just joining us, we're uh, well into a conversation uh, with Dr. David Ramey, who has uh, some fascinating research and um, from Penn State University. Um, I have a caller uh, from 937 area code. Um, caller, are you there? Yeah, can you hear me? Yes, I can Hello. hear you. Please. Okay, yes, thank you, Dr. Perkins. Yeah, thank you, Dr. Perkins and Dr. Ramey. My name is Maurice Danette. I have a question for you. Uh, great conversation, but the question is, what are the most effective approaches to reducing disparity in school discipline? And when I say that, I'm thinking about Montgomery County. Maryland drastically reducing suspension over the last few years by instituting strategies such as student-teacher mediation sessions and community service for non-safety violations. What can we do to encourage more districts to adopt these policies? What do you see as the biggest barriers to implementing policies like this? 
Um, I think, at least in my opinion, I think the best way of encouraging encouraging non-punitive discipline policies, mediation, student, uh, community service, student teacher, would be to get. You have to get the news of the effectiveness out there, and I think you have to not only show. I, I think we have a, a problem, whereas. Uh, some of us care about disparities. So I think not only do you have to demonstrate that we're eliminating racial disparities in punishment, but you also have to demonstrate to the school safety crowd that the schools are still safe, that the learning is still happening. Mm-hmm. And I think that is, that's one of the biggest impediments, I think, is that um, teachers have a really hard job. <laughs> and if a kid is disrupting class and all they have are the tool uh, uh, all the only tools at their disposal are getting rid of the kid they they have to get rid of the kid so i think okay. you need to you need to put those you need to put more tools in place demonstrate their effectiveness and you really have to demonstrate their effectiveness to the to the part of the country that isn't necessarily concerned with racial disparities they're concerned with school safety and i think yeah. that's sort of this this sort of this problem I and mean, this is one of the problems that we have in in criminal justice and criminal justice reform in general, but at the lower level, at school disparity reform. Right. And, you know, um, uh, thank you, caller. Um, One of the things that I um, said earlier in terms of inhibiting it to one thing or another, that sounds very much like to me that there's more that we could do in teacher training and even leader training uh, those those tools in the toolbox that need to be available, uh, it, they go farther than just um, being able to say to people uh, that they need to do something else. What is the something mm-hmm. else? And that's why I don't think that many of the educators have those tools. And it's not a criticism necessarily of people who uh, are trying very hard in classrooms with a in very difficult context, I want to be clear about that. We, I've I've been on the side of being a professor in teacher preparation and leadership preparation at the school level and also at the district level. And there, quite honestly, there's not enough time in degree programs to do everything we honestly need to do. We do in some programs we do uh, a really good job, and I think we 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 have. Of some of the best programs in the country that that uh, uh, prepare people at the uh, principal level and and at the district level. Uh, generally speaking, however, that we just don't we we there's not a lot of even at the professional development level there's not a lot of value placed uh, from school districts in giving them those tools. So you have. Mm-hmm. An, get it right on the head when you said, well, it's that we we really don't know that we can fix bad. You know, and, and I and I put in quotes bad, that uh it's a bad kid, we can't do anything about it. Uh but if it's a kid that has been assigned some uh, some some medical and uh uh classification depending on the race in in, in in some cases, uh, and we, we try to do something else. And some, by law, they're required to do, as you know, with the 504s and the IDEA. Uh, but even then, we know that there are a lot of school districts that get sued for failure 
to comply with with uh, individualized instruction plans, education plans, mm-hmm. and and so it's very complicated. But I, I guess uh, also as a takeaway for me in this is that we we there's there's enough evidence to suggest that we take a closer look, and I don't mean by um, that we take a closer look and more studies need to be ordered. The, the incident in South Carolina is a, is a, is a <laughs> visible case of what training and what uh, putting a light on this issue can do for understanding that uh, we, are, we, we have a, a problem with discipline in our uh, nation's schools and that, that it's, it, it is a very uh, disturbing trend that based on where someone is economically their family's economic uh, situation or racial that it is uh, it is it determines in a lot of cases um, their their discipline policy. That's that's uh, very very disturbing. Um, what mm-hmm. what so where do we go from here? What what is your uh, in terms of you now? You've given us the the so what and the, the how important this is. Now what? What 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 next? Um, well, in terms of I think in in terms of future research, I think we should I think we need to take a look at the at the kind of the causes and consequences of these different programs and whether or not and again like the answer to the the caller whether or not medicalization is working whether or not there are, you know so it's not that we're not medicalizing groups of of, of black kids, the problem is that we could be medicalizing them as a marker for further punishment. So is it is medicalization different context, uh, different in context, and how do we kind of, how do we figure out what works and in what context? And I think that's a really important step moving forward if we're going to inform, if we're going to inform and change policies. And I think, um, you know, I think, that's probably the biggest step, at least me as a researcher, in, in terms of thinking about moving forward. In terms of policy, um, this is sort of where I, I readily admit to myself is coming up somewhat short and as a discipline coming up short in terms of, you know, what to do, what to tell schools to do in, in, in light of student misbehavior, student student learning, and all these changes that schools are faced with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, thank you. So, look, we're we're out of time. This has been so wonderfully uh, informative. I, I hope those of you who are out there interested will uh, pick up a copy of this article. Uh, there have been others that summarize it. I know on uh, the in the New York Times and some other places that summarize it that really um, stimulated me to go and and get the the article from the sociology of education very well done um really interested in seeing some of your your other work as we discussed earlier and um so also i want to thank our listeners for tuning in this month uh, for a very exciting discussion uh join us at our next show uh it's going to be on december 9th at 2 p.m uh where we have uh, dr gary orfield uh, at the uh, UCLA Civil Rights Project, uh, who's going to be our special guest. Um, and so um, we we are excited to uh, have him come in uh, just as we did today with David. David, again, thank you for joining us. And uh, so 
next time, to all my listeners, go well, stay well. Thank you very much.